Welcome back to the Respect the Drive podcast. I'm Tedward, and today we have a cannonball driver. Yes, Sam Lurie was a co-driver on the Boston team's second run in that Audi S8 Plus. But he's more than just a cannonball driver because he's actually done all three elements of what we consider in modern cannonballing. He's been a spotter, he's been a driver, and he's worked mission control. So it's great to see the perspective from somebody who's really seen cannonball from every angle. But Sam didn't enter the scene through Cannonball. He's actually been one of the OG Boston car scene dudes. He's been around for a long time. In fact, I've known Sam for probably 15 years, and I didn't really get to know him up until recently when we started doing this Cannonball stuff, but you've also seen his cars on my channel. He has he has contributed his Hummer H1, his Nissan Figaro, his insanely powerful 996 Turbo, and his S65 AMG. So yeah, he he's a car guy through and through, and when we start talking, we're going to talk a little bit about his cars and his introduction into the car scene and how the Boston car scene got up and started. If you're not interested in that, which I do find quite interesting. It's very fun. But if you want to just get straight to the cannonball stuff, skip ahead a little bit. But first, how are you doing? Are you okay? It's been a long, brutal winter. It's just been gloomy. It's not that we've had massive snowstorms or anything, which honestly, I wish we had more of. The content I can create with a good snowstorm is a beautiful thing. But man, I just feel like I've been trapped indoors. And the one thing I'm not worrying about is my E39 M5 up in Garage 42 in Woburn, Massachusetts. It's so nice to know that my M5 is safe and protected under camera surveillance in the nice warm atmosphere of Garage 42. So if you're interested in storing your car at Garage 42, give them a call, garage42.com. But I just can't wait to get that E39 M5 out of storage and back on the road. I can't wait to go to a Cars and Coffee event. Fingers crossed we can have Cars and Coffee events this summer. But if you are just in it for the coffee. Go to MotorizeCoffee.com. Get 10% off your coffee order with coupon TEDWORD. All right, enough about that. Let's get into it with Sam Lurie. All right, well, Sam Lurie, you are like OG Boston car scene. In fact, you are somebody who, when I was coming up, in my college years in the early 2000s, 2006 through 2010, you would have been the guy rolling into a car show with your 996 twin turbo with the basalt plate back then. And yeah. you also had, well, it wasn't the S65 you have now. You had another S65, right? It did. I had a, an 06 in black before the one I have now. And I just always remember, like, those were the two cars that were kind of showstoppers. And that was when Boston... Boston's car scene wasn't supercars yet, but that was as close as we would get. Like, we had Yuppie Racing, which you were, would are you would you consider yourself a co-founder? Uh, no, not really. I mean, that was you know more of a of a Pete Ladas thing back in the day. But it's it is funny how the Boston cars and coffee scene got started because in January of two thousand is when I bought that. 996 turbo and i remember you know driving it home in the snow from new york and being so excited about how i have this you know amazing car and all i wanted to do was show it off and i reached out to pete and i said pete i i I, we got to do something i want to show this car off it's it's january and it's freezing out but i'm so excited about this thing i'm hearing about these car shows in irvine california called cars and coffee we don't do anything like that why are we doing this why we should make this a thing. Like, let's do this. Like, let's make a thing so I can show my car off. Cause I was so excited about it back then. It was like my first real, like big boy car. 
um, you know, and Pete had all those connections and all those contacts. And I remember, you know, he did a lot of the legwork behind setting up that first official cars and coffee Boston meetup that we had. And it was, it was in Burlington, you know, in a, in a parking lot outside of Dunkin' Donuts. And it might've been late January or early February, 2008. And I don't know if we had 40, 50, 60 cars and people standing outside in 20 degree weather. It was unbelievable. And that's kind of like where it all really started. It's weird because today, today, pretty much every major city has some sort of supercar gang, right? Everyone has the new Pista. Someone's always coming, you know, someone's always going to have the next big thing. So whether it's like an SVJ or a Performante or a Pista or the McLaren 600 LT, whatever, like every, every city now has that. Back then, that didn't exist. And I can remember even going to car shows and it was a treat if you saw a Ferrari. It was like, whoa, somebody has an F-355. And then this kind of like car scene in Boston started occurring and it started being like, wait a minute, these cars are all kind of co- like congregating. These people are now friends. All the people who normally were on their own, who just had their own, oh, I bought my Ferrari, but I don't know any Ferrari people. Finally, all these people kind of knew each other. And the Boston car scene started evolving. And it wasn't, it's funny because when you look back at photos or videos from those days, it's not that hardcore compared to today, but it seems so hardcore at the time. Like, You'd see your 911, the turbo, which which has been on the channel. And we'll talk about that because all of your cars have been on the channel now. You've contributed significantly to, <laughs> to my view count over the last 12 months. Um, but you'd see like a Lotus Esprit. You'd see maybe a, a, a Ferrari 360 and the 911. And then everyone had an M3. And those were like the those were like the baby supercars. Yeah, I mean, there were times where I remember uh, because I had an E46 M3 and so many other folks had E46 M3s. And we were all on E46 Fanatics. Um, and there was like the group of us. And then there were the guys with the STIs and the Evos. And I remember oh. like everyone in our age group had one of those three cars. That was it. And they weren't cheap either. STI was a $40,000 car. It, I mean, it still is. And now it's cheap, I guess. Right? <laughs> now it's, but it was then. And, and that was 20, almost 20 years ago. That was a really significant thing. So anything with 300 horsepower at the time was kind of considered like, oh, ooh, you've got something here. And then the tuners started coming out. Everything just everything really changed in those like, you know, that tw- 2005 to 2010 time frame. That was a great car. I um, I remember that I wanted to buy an M5 at the time and found one I really liked and couldn't afford it. And I was bummed that I missed out on it. And about six months went by and I'm still looking, you know, trying to buy an M5, E39 M5. Um, and an E46 M3 came up for sale that ended up being the same price as the M5. I couldn't afford about six months earlier. And that's what I ended up getting. And that car was really bulletproof for like two years. Um, I, I took it to track days and autocrosses. I took it to rallies, I took it to car shows. Uh, and these were the days with like New England rally where we just did crazy drives where we'd we'd drive to like Niagara Falls without stopping, like let's go. Um, and that car never really missed a beat. I just feel like I was ready for, I don't know, something a little more serious. Um, I don't know, maybe that car was getting like a boy racer reputation a little bit in my mind. And I wanted something a little more adult, a little more sophisticated with a lot more horsepower. And that's what led me to going the 996 turbo route. Yeah, that car is absolutely, that car, it's crazy because by today's standards, that car is fast. It, it, it still scares me a little bit. I mean, I get in that thing and it's like, 
if you chose not to lift, if you chose to just stay in it, it's a 200 mile an hour car. Yeah, I haven't been that fast in it. A couple of other people have driven it faster than I have. Um, it's always good to yeah, have Yeah, we don't have friends. to name names, but I've, I've, I've had it well into the triple digits. And I know a few folks, two or three folks I can think of that have uh, come real close to that 200 number um, that have had it. That I, I haven't even been in the car when those have happened, but I've either been next to it or had it go past me or heard about it after the fact. Well, that sets us up perfectly for why you're on here for the most part is you are you are now a proper cannonballer as of uh, yeah. let's we won't give exact dates, but let's say maybe springtime of last year, you you yeah. did you did the thing. You you put your money where your mouth was and all of those years of those those rallies, those those New England drives or those blasts up to Niagara Falls or whatever. It was like you know what? It's time to do the whole the whole country. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, bucket list item for sure, man. And what an undertaking, especially to be part of a team that was taking it as seriously as they were, because it wasn't like um, you. You kind of came in at a good point because, first of all, you've also done something that very few people have done. You've done the trifecta of cannonballing, which is you've spotted for a cannonball. You've driven in a cannonball and now more, you know, in a more sophisticated way, you've done mission control for a cannonball. Yeah, I think I was really fortunate in that I had the opportunity to do all three. You know, nobody knows that that's what's going to be the eventual outcome when we start talking about this in the, in, you know, in the early stages of planning. You know, I remember planning with the guys well, well in advance and knowing that, you know, I was part of the team, but I wasn't going to be one of the folks in the car and that if something happened, if someone couldn't go, if there was, a, you know, an illness or something, that I'd be the one to step in. Uh, but, you know, the, the A plan was that I wasn't going to be going on that first run. So I, I wanted to help out in any way that I could. I said, you know, help me, be, help me in the planning. I'll help with the strategizing. I'll do spotting. Whatever I can do to, to help you guys as much as I can, I want in. So that first run that the team did, uh, I did a section of spotting in Pennsylvania and, uh, it was great. And that's, I thought this would be the extent of my cannonball experience was that, you know, providing that coverage for that zone and being part of that journey. Um, and I was happy with that. That was great. And then obviously, you know, that, you know, one of the drivers ended up getting sick in the car and didn't make it all the way there. You know, they uh, had some other struggles that ended up, you know, putting their time not where they wanted to be. It was close and, though. And they were, they were, Oh, I mean, super oh, close. Five minutes. That super run close. was a five minutes off of the record, which is like still to this day drives me out of my mind because I mean, think about that to find five minutes is not hard to find, especially in that run. That was a brutal, that was a very amateur, <laughs> amateur run. Um, but I don't think we, we were gearing up for that to be the run. Right. I, I don't know that any of us were like, I don't think in the back of my mind, even kind of filming it and helping out. And I wasn't doing mission control in the way that we have it now. It was a little more freeform. Um, I don't think any of us looked at that as the first run. We thought this is the run. Right. I never thought until after it was over and they had missed by five minutes, there would be another one of these. We always thought that was going to be it. Um, and then you know, immediately after when you, when you fall short by just that margin, now I'm thinking, oh man, there's, there's probably going to be another, another go. We can't let this be the one go. And that's when uh, I start thinking about how, well, there are going to be some changes next time. And uh, I might get my shoulder tapped for an opportunity and I'm going to be all over that if that's the case. 
Uh, and I was very fortunate in that that's exactly what happened. I remember because we went to your house for the after party. So we kind of had like yeah. a, a, a like a, a thank you to all the spotters and all the people. And then, you know, Chris, Chris and Matt told their story. We'll get Matt on the podcast at some later date. It's funny. I think about him coming on and telling stories. It's like less about Cannonball and more about him just being like a crazy person who buys the nuttiest cars. But <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Um, that day. Uh, when we were going through all that, I remember the, uh, Doug and Arnie. Was that the day Doug and Arnie went and set the 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 actual next record? Yes, because after most of the folks that had gathered at my house for our campfire and our our thank yous and our storytelling had all left, a few of us hung back and we were watching them on glimpse uh, just do ridiculous speeds where we had just driven and not done those speeds thinking, well, if we're ever going to do this again, the bar is going to be even higher than it already is. And they was, the, I'm trying to remember, this is the thing, everything's getting very muddled because a lot happened in that like six to eight months that we were doing this. Was that when they set the 2539? Yes, but but nobody knew that except us. Right, because I remember actually when I did the video of the S8 Plus after your run, there is a binder in the back and I open the binder and I, and at the last minute in editing, I realized I accidentally showed their yeah. run and I cut it and it didn't make it in. Cause I was, th- I didn't know them personally. So I was like, Oh my God, if I let that out, like I would have been such an asshole to be like the guy who blew up their spot pre or what an Easter egg, right? Like, <laughs> to yeah, we knew the whole time that that was the mark to beat um, when the world didn't know. And you can imagine having, you know, been in the shoes of the guys that had already done this once, how much more fast we needed to go this time than they had gone last time, because we're talking like an hour faster it was basically crazy. than what we needed to go before. And all, I, and I'm feeling this pressure. Like I'm joining the team now. I'm in the car now. I just don't want to let these guys down. Right, you know, for, I, for, I, I'm excited for my own like personal, you know, bucket list life story item, but I don't want to disappoint these guys either. This you know, a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of risk, you know, and I just want to do my part. Yeah. For reference, the, the, the new record at this point now is 2530, 2539. Was that what it was? Yeah. And then the, the run they had just done prior to you joining the team was a 2643. So over an hour, had been lobbed right. off this time. Now, by at the, the first run, they're like, "Oh, good. All we have to do is make up five. Like, all we have to do is do five minutes faster, like six minutes faster." We and we right. And when you look at all the things that didn't go right on that first run, two we, we could have just fixed any one of those things and saved five minutes easily, like easily. Right. And we're still deep in coronavirus, and uh, you know things were things were things were looking good. I mean, not in society, but for cannonballers, <laughs> at least there was a bright side to the world being in shambles. And then Doug and Arnie go off and just do this obliterating record. And that's where you guys come in, you join the team, and it's like, whoa, we really need to change the strategy. It was, um, yeah, it's never far from your mind about the gravity of what you're doing. So So everything that we had talked about the first time is being reanalyzed. The, the, you know, the microscopic sized details of every single planning aspect are being analyzed by everyone involved and any opportunity there is to go faster, be more efficient. We're thinking about how can we save time? How can we be faster? 
what were the conversation? What were, <laughs> what was your onboarding process like? I mean, what was it like joining these two guys? Because now you've got two guys who have done it once, and they know. Yeah. For the you know they're 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 forever changed, right? Like they're no longer virgins because it's no longer just the. Um, the pie in the sky, like, oh, yeah, Cannonball, the final frontier of American driving across the country. No, it's like they've done it. They know how miserable it is. They know what it's like to lose. And then you're coming in as a third driver that needs to make up time and be, you know, what? yeah, what was it like to walk into the team as a new driver? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I feel that pressure. I remembered that the Chris's called me. We had like a conference call, the three of us, where – they explained where they were. And I know that, you know, the ask or the opportunity is coming. They're about to say, you know, do you want to go for the next run? Um, you know, and inside I'm just like, yep, I'm in, let's go, let's go. I can't say yes fast enough, but at the same time, I want to show these guys that I, I, you know, I understand how serious this is and that I take it seriously and that I've thought about it and I want to do whatever I can to help. So while I wanted to shout out, yes, 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 yes. You know, I also wanted to show them that, you know, this was a team effort for everybody and it wasn't just something I wanted to do for me. Right. You have to be tempered because all, at the same time, it's incredibly exciting. You recognize that for, um, it went from being an exciting event for them to almost like a job. Like this is a mission. We're here to complete the mission. If we win, we can celebrate. Well, there's so many other people involved with helping us that we don't want to let them down either. They're, they're volunteering their time and their effort um, to some expense in a lot of cases, and you don't want to let them down either. Yeah, this one went from, I think the first run, maybe 15 spotters. And then this, the second run, the one that you ran, we were up around 30 because it was, it was supposed to essentially space out a hundred miles per spotter across the country. Um, And so that was a large undertaking because now you go from like, oh, it's basically a group of my friends because we know 15 people. Sure. 30 people, it starts to get to a point where you're like, I actually only know about half of these people who are helping me do this. Well, the, so the guys asked me to bring spotters with me, right? If you're going to come and be part of this, there's some expectations um, for you to come join the team. Uh, and one of those expectations uh, came in the form of, we need you to bring more spotters. We got gaps we need to fill and you need, you need to bring people, you know, to do that. So I think I brought, I don't know, another five or six folks that I knew um, from the, from not just here in the Northeast, but you know, other parts of the country that were willing to fly places, willing to drive places, including one of my buddies who lives in Maine, who was willing to drive all the way to Utah. I remember he he's great because I remember he shared his glimpse with me because I was that was the this was the first run that I did a proper mission control. And he shared his glimpse with me like the day he was driving out there. And I just he was he was my test bed because I could just follow him going through the country. And it helped me a lot, actually, to like figure out, okay, this is what I'm going to be looking at. This is how I'm going to be able to um, to like, you know, communicate with these people. Um, So the the climate changed a bit, too, when you guys went on this run, because when you set up in New York, it wasn't just a normal COVID day where it's empty streets. George Floyd had just been murdered and protests abound all over the country. And New York was big. Um, do you remember? I remember vividly because I'm sitting. I, we were set up in mission control in a shipping container, a literal shipping container with a few of us. Um, and I remember you guys sitting in front of Red Ball and there were we were looking at the roads and the route and, and over the police scanner, we could hear where they were starting to close roads. 
Yeah. So you have to remember that was the weekend where protests nationwide were breaking out and there were riots and vandalism and just a lot of civil unrest nationwide. And here are the three of us, you know, trying to drive across the country as fast as we can at the same time. So there's that juxtaposition of like, there's some serious cultural issues going on in this country. And here are the three of us, you know, gallivanting across the country uh, as fast as we can. Um, so, I, I mean, certainly we're aware of that happening. Uh, and because we have a police scanner in the car, we're hearing about all these things. As we're driving from Boston to New York, we're hearing about, you know, cities being locked down and roads being closed. And I remember getting to the Red Ball in New York. And I mean, the, the prison buses were queued up not a block or two away from where we were outside the Red Ball. We could see the, you know, the, the paddy wagon staged for the mass arrests that we're planning. And we're hearing about this march of folks going through the city and it's building and building. And they're worried about riots breaking out and, and, and looting and vandalism. And they're talking about closing the bridges. And the three of us are like looking at our watches, like we got to get out of here. We, I mean, we're, we might get stuck here if we don't get out of here. I can remember the countdown, and and the countdown was not only about, like, let's get out of here. It was, it was they're going to close a bridge, or they're going to close a tunnel, or they're going to close a road that we need to get out. And, right. And, 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 and for anyone listening, that's not just a, oh, shoot, now we have to wait. It's like, no, you have 30 people, 30 cars scattered across the country waiting for you to be there at a certain time to do their job. And right. If it, we leave too early, the math is wrong. The math is wrong. So you can't just leave. And if you wait too long, like you basically screwed everybody's flight plans home because <laughs> now they, sure. can't, they can't get back on the airplane. So, yeah, that was it, it, it all worked out. But isn't it that's the thing about Cannonball? It was like. In the back, you know, deep down, your you know your moral compass is like, wow, the country is going through some shit right now. But at the same time, you're like, well, we have a task, and regardless of what's going on in the world right now, we need to accomplish this goal. Yeah, I think it was you know COVID precautions happening at the same time that may have led to you know some roads being more clear. It's certainly on the first two thirds of the drive that certainly helped us, and then. You know, whether how whether it's true or not, and, and we you know we'll never know, but you gotta figure that with with riots in 40 cities happening that night, there had to be a, a, a significant amount of law enforcement that was not out patrolling the highways that had been recalled into these major metropolis areas, into major you know, towns and cities, and that weren't out on the roads because you know, I remember as we left New York, you know crossing New Jersey into Pennsylvania, just the train of police cars with lights and sirens headed into the city when we were leaving. Speeding was absolutely the last concern of any cop in the United States that day. Yeah, they were going the other direction, too. They were. And it was wild because while we were like we were planning to bounce out of the city, they were all going into the city and you'd hit a few cities along the way. And I remember the one city that was scary going into Ohio. I think it was Cleveland. We started getting reports that they were possibly going to close highways. And, it, and they did. Luckily, they weren't highways we needed, but we weren't sure where they were going to cut them off. And I can remember thinking like, you know, the first few hours into this, like, oh, my God, we're already we're already cooked. Like, we're already going to have to reroute before Cleveland. Like, this is not. Yeah. Good. So my mind was not thinking about that at that time. I was in the backseat when we started and I'm I'm in a car that I've been in only once before. I've driven 
only once before, although I did drive from Boston to New York to get a, another you know, opportunity to have some seat time. But you know, these guys have done this once already. They own the car. They're super comfortable with the car. They know what the car is like at speed. So here we are, we leave, and we, we are just flying through the tunnel out of the city. Now we're out of the city and we are just going obscene speeds on public roads. That I'm was in the backseat. That was fast getting out of the city too, because I remember your <laughs> your run, Red Ball to New Jersey, was like sub 10 minutes. We were we were flying. I'm in the backseat. My seatbelt is fully locked. <laughs> like whether you want it to be or not, I'm in the backseat. I'm holding on to the door handle. The seatbelt is locked, and all I can think of is uh, this is going to be like this for the next day. It's right? like 24 a rock- plus hours. Yeah, it's like a rocket launch. It's going to be this never, Yeah, it never relaxes. Like a rocket launch, no. I feel like you at least get to go to space, and then everything calms down a little bit, and you just do your job. This is just like, no. It's just launch after launch after launch after launch for 26 hours. Yeah, these guys knew exactly what to expect. They had done it before. They seemed so calm and comfortable and collected. And I'm just trying to keep my composure in the back seat and not have a panic attack, right? Like I said, I don't, I don't want to let these guys down. So I'm just trying to maintain control. Like, sure, um, I'm very used to going 165 on public roads at night. Sure. What is it like looking out? So for me, the biggest thing at that speed um, is animals. Like I'm less concerned about traffic because it's like, well, I can see traffic for the most part. You can kind of predict that. And what like the thing that scares me the most, and I don't know how you get over this, is a deer. It's like you killed a bird personally. True. <laughs> True story. Right. Yeah, yep, that did happen. Yeah, you're going about 130 and it was a whoa. And the funniest part about that is the sarcasm in the car because you're a little bit horrified because you just heard a horrible sound as you're in control of this vehicle at 130 miles an hour. Chris Benvy looks over and goes, I think he lived. And it was just so funny and dry that I was like, this is this is how you can tell they're like really comfortable doing this now. Yeah, there's no there's no time to react to wildlife, whether it's a deer or a bird at that speed. I remember seeing this thing come across my field of vision from left to right and trying to yell the word bird because I know like I've got a guy in the backseat working phones, you know, talking to you, looking at maps, checking out computers. I got a guy in the front seat who's looking out binoculars, right? I'm really the only one kind of looking out the front window at what's right in front of us in the moment. And I tried to yell bird. And I, I mean, I didn't even make it to the D and bird before we liquefied this thing on the windshield. How did it it's just, there's no avoiding it. How did it feel? So you were the second stint. So the way we kind of, this car was fan, the Audi was great on fuel. So the Audi you could kind of do in in the country in, you know, big chunks. Cause you could do six, 700 miles on a tank. So you get your first opportunity to drive, um, somewhere in Illinois, I think. Is that right? Yes. Somewhere like that. So you've got, but, you've got a good chunk of the away. What did it feel like getting in the driver's seat for the first time at night? I mean, it's nighttime. It's late. And you've been, now you've been in the car. You've seen what's expected of you. Right. And right. now you have you to, have do to remember, we've all been up since like seven or eight o'clock <laughs> on Saturday morning. Right. That's that's when my body wakes up normally. So I'm getting up seven, seven thirty in the morning on Saturday. I'm awake all day Saturday. And then we all meet up in the Boston area and we left at whatever it was, like two o'clock. And then we drove to New York and then we left New York at I think it was eight o'clock. Yeah. That, that we left. 
And now I'm getting into the driver's seat. At, uh, it was like three or three thirty in the morning. So I've been awake for 21 hours and not a single or, minute of this is enjoyable or, or 19 hours. I've been awake around 20 hours and now I need to get in the driver's seat of this car <laughs> and drive the, the fastest I've ever driven in my life. The furthest I've ever driven in my life. Uh, the best I've ever driven on my life. Oh, I'm going to do this in a car I'm unfamiliar with on roads. I'm unfamiliar with at night. Um, yeah. So here's my plan for how to, how to overcome this. I'm going to bring some caffeine with me so that I'm properly caffeinated. I already I feel like I have to energy pee. <laughs> and I have plenty of focus. So, I mean, we, we were carefully rationing our water intake, so I wasn't too worried about the bio break stuff, but I was worried about mental fatigue and obviously like physical fatigue from being tired. And I don't usually have any caffeine in my diet. Normally it's very rare that I have caffeine, but I brought, you know, five hour energy with me. I brought some caffeinated chocolate with me. And when we were looking at, okay, we're going to be stopping in the next, you know, 30 or 50 miles. It's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to have some caffeinated chocolate and a pound of five hour energy. And in about 20 minutes from now, when I need to get in that driver's seat, I am going to be ready to go. Um, that was the plan. So I, I executed according to the plan and we left the gas station and I, I'm flooring this thing on the on-ramp to get up to speed on the highway. And I'm literally having a panic attack, like behind the driver's seat. <laughs> I am so hyped up on caffeine that when you when you add the adrenaline of you know of the moment in and the weight of what we're doing, it was like I'm having a heart attack at the same time. I remember, and I don't I mean you probably could hear it in the in the video. I remember like having to take deep breaths to try to calm myself down. And and Chris is in the front seat saying, "You're doing great." calm down. Everything's okay. You're doing a great job. Take deep breaths. And I'm literally shaking, just so crazy high on life in that moment. It's a lot I'm to shaking. take in. Right. Did it calm down? Did you get to a point where you started to go, ah, oh, this is what's happened? Because I know every time I've gone on a rally or a cruise, the first, you know, the first like dose of it is a lot. And you're like, oh, my God, this is what we're doing. And eventually you get to a point where like 130, 140 miles an hour stops feeling fast. And you're just like, oh, that's just what we're doing. We've, we're in a rhythm. Like, did you start to fall into a rhythm where you felt comfortable or was it just constant? I mean, now you've got actual like chemicals in your body that are... <laughs> <laughs> that are probably not I mean, helping it, this. it took a lot of time before I started to even feel a little bit comfortable. If comfortable is the word you even want to use, because all I'm thinking about is I want it to be daylight. I want to be able to see. I just don't want it to be dark anymore. Which is so, so bizarre because it's are, like the antithesis of speed in a cannonball. It's like everything happens under darkness. <laughs> how much further do I need to drive this car before it's going to be light out and I can see? And then I'll feel I'll feel so much better when, I, when it's daylight. And then I'll, and I'll calm down because I'll be able to see. And I remember, you know, we're obviously traveling in the wrong direction. So the night is longer than it should have been because we're driving west and not east. So that's like extra time that I hadn't factored in that I'm driving in the dark. And then when it finally starts to get light out, it's not getting like nice sunrise light out. It's getting like overcast. It looks like it's going to rain out daylight. Uh, and then, of course, it rained, yeah, which you was not had, fun at all because you had a that good, brought our speed down. And now I'm a, having panic attacks about wet roads. Yeah, you had a good stint in the rain. Um, that was no joke. And that's the thing. I think you you were holding on to kind of like 135, 140 for the most part for, for a lot of that time. And then it it was like, you know, 110 
at best was kind of where it came down to because it wasn't like light rain like the, and the roads were poorly um drained like those were like like they were standing water right i i was relying heavily on chris to give me guidance and feedback on what he wanted me to do and i remember and i'm sure you remember me just telling chris just tell me what to do just tell me what to do just yep. tell me what to do he, just tell you, me what to do you were good about how fast that. to go like when you, to go just tell me what to do you were like uh yeah you were like a proxy it was basically just like you want me to go 130 i'll go 130 you want me to go 90 i'll go 90. <laughs> um so i just did what i was told and i tried to not hyperventilate and have a panic attack and tried not to shake too much and i was you know certainly death grip on the steering wheel uh, and we powered through the darkness you know, we powered through the rain. And then I think I started feeling better that it was daylight. It was dry. And then, of course, we hear on the scanner that the cops are looking for us. And I'm the one behind the steering wheel. Of course. And that was in what state was that? Was it Nebraska? Nebraska. Yeah. Because I remember yeah. that. They... I'm, I'm just thinking about, oh, we, we've had multiple people call us in, you know, because we're passing people doing double or triple the speed limit. Yeah, easily. Point. Yeah. And. You know, they might not be able to identify the exact make and model that we're in, but we're still driving a black sedan that's identifiable. Black sedan and was the words that said, hey, something's happening. <laughs> and here's the other thing is like there wasn't much traffic on the road. So it was like you guys had the luxury of being, you know, on relatively empty roads. But the the problem was that if someone called you in, it wasn't like you had any scapegoats like you're the, no, we're the only people out there. The roads were totally empty, which was great. There's definitely uh, no other black sedan doing what you're doing. In this whole no, I, I and I remember saying to uh, to Chris after we heard ourselves get called in, and I'm just thinking about like I don't want to go to jail, I don't want to get arrested. Like I can take a ticket, of course, but it's going to take time to give that ticket, which we didn't want to have to stop for. And, and I remember saying to Chris, like, well, if I can just make it to the to the Colorado border, we'll be home free. Right. I mean, how big can Nebraska be? <laughs> so I, I said to Chris, like, how far are we from the from the border? How many more miles to the border? He was like, four hundred. Yeah, it was a long way. And then your 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 mind must have gone between, ooh, well, do we play it safe or do I just drive as fast as possible to kill that 400 miles? Yeah, we drove fast. You did. And I remember yeah. too, there's a I remember the spot there was a spotter um at the border. That was the thing. I remember I remember really lining up that spotter and being like I need to know everything that goes on at that border because if if they decided you know, maybe Nebraska is not the hottest spot for like BLM protests and 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 and, and stuff going on. Maybe uh, maybe they'll have some fun and set up a little roadblock for you before you get into Colorado. And there was a bridge, like a gantry, up there. And I remember um, approaching. I remember watching you guys approach that gantry and just thinking, like, please, please, God, don't let there be any police sitting on top of that or like watching or waiting. And it just, it just, it just you know, fizzled out. And that was the thing. It's all the psychological warfare. So did you find that having information like that was even beneficial? Like, had you never known that that call got placed, would you have been more relaxed? Would it have been a better uh, Yeah, experience? that's tough to say. There's, there's positives and negatives there. I mean, obviously there's a, a sense of nerves that comes into play when you know the police are looking for you. Um, that you wouldn't feel. If you didn't know that, you wouldn't feel like that. But also, I remember always being excited about how close we were to the next spotter. Are they 25 miles away? Are they 20 miles away? Because the closer I got to that spotter, the fresher that information is, the shorter the gap there is between them and us, and the safer I feel about doing what I'm doing and not 
having any consequences from law enforcement about going the speed we were going. So you're always like looking forward to that next spotter just for the information intake, but also it's like one more milestone. Like we've passed one more spotter, we're one more spotter closer to the finish line too. And I can remember from a mission control standpoint, that stressed me out a lot because in, in other situations, especially with only, I, I say it like only 30 spotters across the country, but with only 30, that's a big gap. And it was hard to, it was hard to make sure that there was never dead space. There was never like um, blind space between the spotters. And in Nebraska, I remember being really, really cautious about trying to overlap them. So that way there was no space that you guys didn't have information. And I don't remember, I, honestly, I don't remember what happened. I don't remember if we had any dead space. I don't remember if we overlapped them correctly, but I just remember entering Colorado and being so relieved. So relieved. That's exactly what I was going to say is when we crossed the border into Colorado, I just felt so much better. Like all that drama is behind us now. And um, I guess my mind shifted in that moment to now I'm thinking about my stint is coming to an end and this is not the most fun thing to do. And I'm tired. Um, I've been awake, who knows how many hours at this point I've been driving so fast and so hyper-focused and I'm like ready to not be driving anymore. Um, and I don't want to say to these guys, like, I'm tired. I don't want to drive anymore. Like I would never say that, No, but, but I'm, I'm feeling like I'm ready to, to be done with this and go do the job of the person in the other seat now I'm, I'm ready to not have the wheel in my hand and that's a good I mean, you know it's funny it's like yes you you don't want to like quote unquote let them down or whatever but y- the honesty of what you're capable of doing in the moment in the car is really critical because if you're at the point where you're like i don't think i can continue driving like you gotta speak up and it's like it's in like luckily the fuel tank usually f- speaks for you <laughs> where it just starts going so, down. so that's true except in the first stint we were dealing with, you know, mountains and more congested roads, although they weren't congested. They were more congested in the first stint than in the stint that I had, because in the middle of the country, the roads were so flat and so straight and so empty that at the same speeds we were going in the first stint, I was able to drive with better fuel economy. Yeah, I think you made so it another I thought, 150 miles. You were like, an, you yeah, had I thought like I an, was going to drive, you know, 900 ish miles in my stint and then. The first stint was less than that, I think. And my stint ended up being over a thousand miles. I was behind the wheel for what seemed like forever. That car. And uh, with we're doing calculations and I'm asking like, well, how far is it until we think we're going to stop? Because I'm, I'm starting to feel like really fatigued at this point. Um, and the math for the fuel consumption is like, we're not stopping for another 200 miles. It was crazy. I'm like, oh my God, I, I remember- have to drive a lot further. You made it to like Vail. Yeah, somewhere in like the Denver area, I remember. Because I remember we got Matt, the the driver on the first stint. He's the one who like scoped out the the um, that fuel stop for you. And then he, it was funny because Chris was like, oh, see if he can like reserve two pumps. And I remember he did it. And then I'm like, and then he stopped. And I'm like, you got to move your fucking car, man. Like he stopped in the pumps and was like, I'm here. And we're like, yeah, you're in the way. So he went to reserve the pump and ended up blocking the pumps. But anyway, you got in, you did your thing. And. What was it like getting out of the out of the hot seat and being like, good, I'm going to go fuel this car? Um, you don't get a chance to kind of exhale when you stop because we pulled into that gas station. You know, one of our spotters, like you mentioned, Matt, he's he's there. He's blocking two pumps for us. And, you know, we have coordinated exactly who's responsible for what when we pull into the gas station, whose credit cards are being used, 
who's swiping on which side, who's pumping with which handle, who's running into the gas station. We're throwing away Chris's pee bottles. I mean, we are, we are like well-rehearsed pick routines. So the second you slam that thing in a park, you open the door and you're doing whatever job you need to do in that moment. We're all running. Do you remember so seeing think, Matt? Do you remember seeing Matt? Like, cause to me, I do. Like, yeah. What was it like? Cause to me, all right, this is how I'd imagine that. Like it's such a, it's such a foreign thing to be doing in a foreign place. And all the thing is weird. It would be like when you see your mom at like, you're in the third grade and your mom happens to be at the school and you're like, Oh, mom's here. Like, was it like an exciting thing to see someone you knew? <laughs> at this yeah. I mean, it's, it's great to see like a teammate and a friend who's waiting for you for sure. But I, I don't have time to like shoot the shit with him. <laughs> Uh, it's like, hey, man, got to go. And I remember like running feverishly into the gas station to use the restroom real quick. I was the first to go. The The other two guys were going to stay and do car stuff. We're going to add our fuel additives and do our windshield tearaways and all this other stuff. So I, my job is to go in, take a leak as fast as I can and come out. Well, I'm running into this rest stop and I get into the bathroom and there's like two urinals there and I'm standing at the urinal and I'm so over-caffeinated, out of breath, when did I can't even get going. Like, I haven't had the opportunity to go to the bathroom in 10 plus hours, and now I have an opportunity and I can't go. No, that would have been a 10-minute pee for me, 100%. 100%. There's oh, no man, way I would have so, been able to pee. Yeah, just trying to go as fast as we can. And I remember Durden came running in, and now he's at the urinal next to me, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm behind. I, I got to go. I got to go. It was crazy. So, Colorado, you've just rushed your way back into the car you're full of fuel things were like it was smooth but a little hectic at the beginning and then you're like okay good i'm back in the car were you shotgun at this point or back yeah. in the car okay so you're shotgun yeah. you get on the road and it couldn't have been more than 10 minutes of driving or 15 minutes of driving before you guys basically came to a grinding halt well i thought it was a little strange how many people were out and about on a sunday afternoon um it just didn't seem pandemic in that area there were people just out and about on the roads going wherever they're going doing whatever they're doing it's just seemed odd that we were doing 50 55 60 trying to you know weave traffic where we could and i guess i just expected the roads to be more open and then you know traffic starts to build up at, and at one point we come to a total stop on the highway and i'm like what the hell's going on what what is this we're at, we're at a dead stop. What is happening right now? It was very confusing for us as well because uh, Mission Control, I'm speaking to my spotter who just cruised through this section. And I'm thinking, what the, what what has gone wrong? Yeah, so I'm in the front seat and I just, I don't understand what's happening at this point. We're not moving. People in front of us are like putting their cars in park. Like this, this isn't like slow traffic. This is no movement at all. Um you know, Chris is in the backseat screaming all profanities known to man. <laughs> it was a brutal, um, it was a brutal car for sure. To be, we're, we're watching the time on our computer change from what looked like we were going to just smash this record yeah. to, okay, we're going to need to really try now. You know, we have a real problem. This is, we can't stay stopped here any second longer than we are. We've already been stopped for one minute, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes. Chris, Chris said, shut the car off. We're going to save fuel. Shut, shut it off. We're going to sit here. I think we shut the car if we sat there for like nine minutes. I mean, in those moments, you're just thinking about how everything you've done could be all for naught. Right. 
Yeah. And it turned out that they had just done like one lane at a time, you know, back and forth because there was a rock slide or something like that where they were cleaning. There was some sort of mudslide, rock slide, something. I don't even remember even seeing it. I remember hearing about it after the fact. But yeah, the road was two lanes in each direction under normal conditions. And they had brought that four lane road down to one lane. Oh, my God. But they were alternating traffic in in both directions. That was when I think I realized how important stop time was in in this event because i I, i'm looking at it like well guys i mean relax we just we just got here so quickly everything's fine we'll be able to make it up and i think chris and chris recognized the severity of what nine minutes of unplanned downtime meant and how little time there actually was to spare to achieve that 25 39 record i mean it was like severe um, what was oh, it like I think, for, I think, think we had an, a moving average in the low 120s before that happened. How um, did it feel for you, though? Because, all right, so I'll put it this way. I've been in situations with people who are like um, either, you know, more experienced than me in something and I'm helping out and I'm doing the thing. And suddenly, like you see their their reactions change and you're kind of like, wait, what does this mean? Like, Oh, they were they were furious. Like, what was how was that for you? Because I don't I. I think if I was if I was in the car, I would have been mirroring their energy, not necessarily because I felt it first, but because I'd be like, oh, no, like this is really bad. Did you feel like you had to console them or did you feel like what was it? I don't know, because I felt like on the a mission control end, I felt like I had to try to keep them cool or something. I don't know. I, but like, what was it like for you in the car? Yeah, I don't remember consoling them. I remember um, just anger and discussion about strategy about (laughs) well what are we gonna have to do now because you know i'm with a couple of guys that are real sharp you know in terms of planning and strategy and you know we're gonna have to change something in order to overcome this now because what we were gonna do initially isn't gonna be good enough no so there were some conversations about you know well we're gonna just have to go all out we're gonna have to pick up this much time in this area and this much time in this area we'd have to hold this average in this area and all these things that we thought we weren't gonna have to do now are all in play yeah to and even have a chance so you guys blast through that you get through it and now it's like all right back into a rhythm it's daytime you know sun's come up uh things are things are moving along a little bit um but then we get the next call in was it arizona that little 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 tiny nugget of arizona just the tip just the corner um that we we had a, a our spotter rafal basically telling uh, me that he was in de- a dead stop um and you guys ended up not really having to stop but you kind of got it was slow but you cruised through a little bit we we heard about the fact that he was stopped and of course the conversation immediately goes back to anger rage strategizing again about other roads we started talking about using fire roads i remember giving you guys fire roads only to try to calm the situation as almost like a laughable thing like just so they just like i wanted chris to have an exit strategy even if it was off a fucking cliff like i just needed him to know that there were options that he could say no to and i felt like that was enough (laughs) to try to yeah so i don't know that that's a real possible scenario versus something that you're just telling him to keep the mood positive. And now I'm thinking about like, well, we're going to have to divert. We could be going down a road. This road could have a dead end. We could, well, we're going to do hundred miles an hour on a dirt road in the middle of the <laughs> desert. I, 
this is unbelievable. I can't, I can't believe this is happening right now. I mean, and it really looked like, uh, like a Roadrunner Wiley Coyote kind of cartoon. Like that area was very much like, like there, it was not a, it wasn't, it was not habitable. It looked very dangerous. If you guys got stuck somewhere, we would have had so to that's helicopter the thing. you there's, out. There's nothing out there, and yet there's people everywhere. They're everywhere. towing their boats and their RVs and their campers. The lake people. Where I got, are all I, you people going? I got. I, I think I got. I, I called them lake people in the in the last podcast with Chris and Chris. I got a lot of comments about that, and they were like, "Hey, we're not so bad." And I was like, "I'll never forgive the lake people. <laughs> I can't. I can't." There were just so people. many people going. I don't know where places. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe you were in the middle of the desert with nothing for hundreds of miles around, and we're just packed with cars on the highway. Bonkers. So you, all right. I mean, everyone knows the end of this story because you didn't win, but you know, you're in the back of the car or whatever as you cross the finish line. It was a brutal end, and I know, like, for what you know, uh, one of the Christoph, we'll call him. Um, he always has the 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 unpleasant finishing of this run where he has to go and basically just be a psycho through California. Yeah, I and mean, he couldn't have driven any better than he did. He drove like an animal. Well, I mean, Just how did you feel crazy. in the back of the car? Because I'm watching this on a camera and thinking to myself, thank God I'm not in this car. Yeah. So I'm in the front seat for this. And, uh, you know, you're you're holding on. I'm a passenger. There's no way I'm going to be a passenger seat driver or backseat driver, whatever one you call it. I'm not telling him how to drive. You There's no way. up and go. Yeah. I'm doing whatever I can do to help him. And I'm holding on, hoping we're not going to die or go to jail. How did it feel going? Oh, like how did it feel arriving at the Portofino? Because for you, I, I'd imagine you have a bunch of mixed emotions. Because for you, at the end of the day, you have just accomplished something pretty incredible, and you've just done this kind of bucket list item in your life that is probably something you've always wanted to do, and that you're like, wow, hundred percent. I get to say I drove across the country in it's still a very respectable time. It was twenty six, twenty nine. Like, I mean, seriously, I think at the time that we did it, that time, while not public. But we knew was the third fastest in history. Yeah. So to think about the fact that, you know, I was something to that degree was awesome. Even though we might not have won the over record, I felt really like we had something really awesome. So I had a, a great feeling of pride in what we had done. Um, they didn't. You know, they were obviously more disappointed in, in what took place. Yeah, that's what I, I felt like I felt for you because I remember obviously I was disappointed because now I had been kind of involved in the first run and now involved in the second run. And, and it was hard to watch them get crushed in this. But for you, I always I felt this really weird sensation for 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 this, like, you know, this new member of the car um, that. You know, on the one hand, you're like, I mean, of course you deserve to be excited and proud and happy. On the other hand, it was like, could you smile in front of them <laughs> while you finish this? Yeah, I mean, you know, we obviously we took some pictures at the end and the mood was, um, you know, mixed emotions. Um, I think we felt like, you know, we just had terrible luck and they had felt like we had terrible luck again because they were the victim of really weird circumstances the first time. Um, and to, to have everything go exactly how we wanted it to go this time and really kind of be screwed by a, a rock slide mudslide in Colorado, and then just super busy highways in the last, I don't know, four or 500 miles of the run um, was really frustrating for them because the first run 
a lot of things didn't go according to plan. Yeah, it was practiced. it was very amateur. A lot of things went wrong. And on this run, the things that we were in control of all went right. Yeah. I mean, everything we did went exactly the way we wanted it. And we were just the victim of some really, really bad luck. And I know that there was definitely there were the I remember the consoling thing was at least we beat the white Audi. That, yeah, that was there like, was that I, I know those guys really wanted to beat them. That's true. That was that was just funny because I think I think I am going to get the um, the Audi team on here because I, I, I have I have so many questions for them. Not even about their run. I, I honestly I almost don't even care about their run. I care about the aftermath because those guys had to deal with the largest PR shitstorm in probably yeah. all of Canada. We had history. the opportunity to meet them a few months after the fact. I just uh, so I, I did have a chance to talk with them and ask some questions. And uh, Chris was just texting was, them yeah. for me yesterday, and I was like, I was like, uh, I'm like, look, I don't know if they're ever going to want to show their faces or like say anything. I'm like, but I got to get this story in the can. I'm it's like, a, I need it's to a fun, know. the way the whole thing came together is a pretty funny story. So that that brings me to now, you are a bona fide cannonballer, man. Like, what what changed for you? I mean, going from oh, I've spotted or I kind of know what this looks like from the outside to now, you're going to friggin' parties, man. You're hanging out with the real, the big boys, like the guys you've, what, did the cannibal community look like you thought it would look like? Are these the guys you expected? Uh, it was a really mixed group of folks. Um, so I guess I kind of expected that. What I didn't expect was how we would really be welcomed with open arms. Yeah. I, I felt like these guys were all legends in their world and they were part of circles that I was not a part of. Um, and that we were really outsiders. We did everything in secrecy. No one knew who we were. No one knew what we were doing. Uh, and then to, to be with them and meet them after the fact and be treated like an equal was really a surprise to know that um, they thought of me as, as one of them uh, and welcomed me into the community. That was really cool. It's, it's fascinating because it does when you're not part of it, when you're not, when you haven't met some of these people, I think of the same thing in YouTube land all the time. When like, you know, if, if, if three or four years ago, you'd, you'd mention a bunch of like famous YouTubers or whatever. Now it's just like, oh, well, yeah, like that's, that's, that's my buddy. Like that's, those are the guys. Yeah. That's of course. Yeah. Yeah. You want to meet them? Yeah. Come over here. I'll introduce you. You know what I mean? And it's like not a big deal. Um, and the cannonball world it's very similar to that because these guys are celebrities in their own right to just a very strange subset of fans, <laughs> which are basically us. And then you get into this and you're like, Oh my God, like those are the guys I've heard. I've read about them. I've heard about, I've them. read about them. I've, I've read the books. I've read the articles. I've watched the movies. I've followed the stories on YouTube. And now, um, I'm one of these people, whether, you know, and, and you almost feel like I am and I belong and you think that they're not going to think that and you think all oh, these people aren't going to think that I'm that I'm the same as they are. Yeah, that's totally not the case. They were like the nicest group of people all saying congratulations. What you did is amazing. Like you're part of the fraternity of lunatics now. And like we're brothers. It's, it was so weird how awesome everyone was. I really do think you're right about that because it feels like it feels like. Um, you almost think you're going, you almost expect to be greeted with um, like, like the fifth degree or third degree where they're like, wait a minute, like would show us the, show us the data, show me the satellite foot, you know, like, <laughs> like, like prove it. But it's like, if you have the right people who saw what was going on, like Ed was involved, he would watch what's going on. He knew, he knew the, the data logging we were using and stuff like that. So like, 
when you have when you when you have some of the right people on your side in this, it makes it very easy because you're not like you don't have to be vetted by 20 people. They're like, oh, yeah, no, we, we trust we trust you did the thing. Yeah, I mean, certainly the second time around now, we were a known commodity as a team versus the first time nobody knew who we were. And now the second time they know we have some cachet, I guess there's some credibility built up there and what we've already done. Um, so that was cool too. Oh, for sure. Um, was there anyone you, I, I, I just for the sake, I have to ask this question. Was there anyone you were starstruck by when you kind of entered the, <laughs> the cannonball community that you were like, Whoa, like I actually, I, I'm, I'm meeting this guy. Cause for me, YouTube land, the biggest time, I think the time I was most starstruck was like meeting Alex Roy, which sounds really dumb now because he's somebody that I could text and be like, Oh, Hey, I hope you're doing well, blah, blah, blah. Like happy birthday, whatever. Um, and, and, but like the first time I met him, I think my jaw, I couldn't pick my jaw up off the floor. Cause like he was this legend through my childhood. Was there anyone in like the cannonball community that you kind of like had a shading and grin meeting and thinking like, Oh, that's, I can't believe I'm having a conversation with this guy. You're like, can't I mean, pay attention meeting, to what meeting, saying. meeting Dave Mayer was, was pretty cool <laughs> yeah. uh, and not something that I expected was going to happen. Yeah. Um, Cause we thought that this gathering of folks was really only going to be folks that were associated with COVID runs and had done COVID runs. Right. Um, or had or had done runs like in the last year. So I had no idea that Dave was going to be there. And getting the chance to meet Dave and talk with Dave and, you know, share stories with him was was pretty cool. Um because so he's a guy yeah, I've for, seen in the movies I've, you know, yeah. read about and now I'm like hanging out with him. For people who don't know, Dave Maher was the uh, the co-driver on Alex Roy's run, um, that you know the, the the famous run. Um, and I actually have never met him because he had had a horrific motorcycle accident um, prior to the screenings of um, JF's movie Apex: The Secret Race Across America. And he didn't make it to the to the events um, until like later on. So when they did like the pre-screening that I went to, I mean, it was such a weird thing because there's, you know, Alex Roy and all the drive guys, all these people like, you know, I'm sitting I spent my day with Mike Spinelli that day. It was great. Um, but I was like, I never met Dave. And I, I always thought that was such a weird thing. I'm like, wow, like this is Dave's party. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, he's not at the party. I mean, I'm sitting there. I had dinner with Arnie. I got a great chance to talk to Doug and so many other folks. I mean, getting to know Fred was hilarious. Oh, and I'm, I'm just Ashmore, with all man. these people that I can't believe that I'm meeting and getting to hang out with. And then to know that they think that I'm just like them and we're the same. That's just super cool. That's amazing. That's so cool. Like, I, I remember you guys going. I didn't go because I... Uh, it was one of those weird times when it was like, you know, COVID was still, you know, fast and furious. I was being very cautious about my parents because I'm living at their house and it was a whole thing. And it was just I, I, I definitely had FOMO when you guys went to that event. Um, but at the same time, like seeing how happy you were, I was it, there was no sense of like jealousy. I was just excited to hear your stories. And I felt I was happy to have contributed to the fact that you guys got to be part of that. It was so it was oh, so su special. super cool and really just in awe of how much time and effort and money Doug put forth to produce that weekend for everyone. Um, you know, he didn't have to do that. And that was really just that speaks volume to Doug and, and his character because he put on um a great weekend invited organized planned gathered you know paid for food and drinks and basically like dinner and entertainment with a 
you know, comedy show stage and awards and stories. I mean, he like roasted you guys. He gave you. Whoa. Oh, it was incredible. Yeah. So, so fun. I and mean, you could tell not only did he really, really, really care, um, but he spent a lot of time and money to, you know, have a great event for everybody. And to cap it all off with a surprise fireworks show at the end that none of us knew about, where if you watched the recent presidential inauguration in Washington, that was a lot of fireworks. I think Doug had about two fireworks less than what you saw in Washington in his own backyard that night. That's it was insane. unbelievable. And that's, unbelievable. is that not just a testament to like the kind of people who would have this record? Yeah, people with just uh, no limits. You know, that they do whatever needs to be done and um, we go all out with everything we do. It's absolutely wild. And that's the thing. I, I think it is a really the cannibal community is such a weird, weird thing because they're all such good guys. There's so many like very intense thinkers and wild men. And there's a combination of being like moderately insane uh, and 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 very clever and intelligent at the same time. Like there's a lot that goes into these things. Um, and it, and you can't just be crazy. If you're just crazy, you won't, you won't win. And if you're just smart, you won't win. You have to be both. You have to have the ability to disconnect reasoning to put your foot down and you have to have the, the intelligence and planning to back up what's going to happen if you do put your foot down. Yeah. And those lines are shifting now because as we've talked about in the past, the bar keeps getting raised and it's now at a point where, um, it's really dangerous. How do you feel about where we're at right now? Because let's say let's say anything sub twenty six hours, I think, is a really um, yeah. I, Cannonball has shifted a lot for me, and it's not something I encourage people to do. It's not something that I I don't promote it. I like the stories. I like telling these stories, and I like I like I like hearing from people. Um, but when someone tells me like, I'm going to go break the record, I either don't really respond to them or I dissuade them. I'm getting to a point where like where we're at at 2530, let's say would be a record breaking run is really, really wild. Yeah. I think people who make those claims or those accusations don't understand what it really takes to do. Um, it's, it's so much more difficult than I think people think to do. And you know, what we learned in the third run is that I think it's statistically possible with the correct road conditions and the right amount of luck and the right team and the right planning, you know, to potentially do a time in the 24s. I do think that's possible. You need to be, you need to be perfect and you need a thousand things to go right that aren't in your control. And if one of those 1000 things doesn't go your way, it's not going to happen. Do you think, do you, so do you think the sport lives on in other ways that aren't necessarily record breaking runs? Like how, do, what, cause I don't, I don't think to me, for example, when I think of cannonball run, I, you know, way back, you think of the movie, right? You think of a countage and a whole bunch of people and like just this calamity of, of, of mistakes and, and conning and, and, you know, trying to, trying to steal the race from, from your, from your team, uh, your competitors. Um, and, and if you said to me, and I had the funds to do it, like, we're getting five cars, we're going for it. And I'd be like, that's great. I genuinely wouldn't care how fast I got there as long as I wasn't last. Right. Well, it's an, it's an adventure of a different kind at that point. You're not trying to break a world record. You are having fun with your friends doing uh, a, a crazy challenge uh, 
so Chris and I were talking about this and, you know, we were talking about how for years and years we've traveled with the same group of folks in the Northeast and we've done the same events and the same shows and the same cruises and the same rallies. And to, and to now be part of this other community of folks that have exposure to some of these other events, you know, whether it's, you know, C to C or some of the other trophy memorial dashes that they do, or maybe they buy $500 cars and, yeah. you know, race these jalopnik cars across the country <laughs> that sounds fun we've never done anything like that before that sounds like something that would be fun to do and see if you can make it i drove uh so our our friend ed owen over at eas he he invited me out the other day to drive his uh 1987 amc eagle and i thought to myself i'm like oh this this is a doug and arnie car like this this is a car that deserves to drive across the country with a broken speedometer and just crank across the country in all of its crushed brown velour glory. Yes. Maybe even backwards and not forwards. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to tell that's for sure. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. I think, I do think the sport lives on um, in other ways, but there's a level where now, um, you know, there's this, there's this like law of diminishing returns. Right. And, and in order to get down to this level, there needs to be genuine money involved. Like, I don't think I am capable. Oh, yeah. of, I'm not capable of funding my own team to, to get into a 25 hour run at this point. That's a lot. There's, you need a lot of car. You need a lot of people. You need a lot of technology. Um, sure. But I don't think you're likely to find a major sponsor for something that's highly illegal either. No, you really like, nobody's going to want to be a part of that because if something goes wrong and you're like, yeah, Nissan gave me a GTR with all these fuel tanks. And then like we kill somebody like, oh yeah, Nissan's going to look real good on that. Like, right, right. So you have to fund it yourself. And like I said, the bar is so high now that the funding would be very serious if you want to play at this level, it's not cheap. So for you then, I mean, this is a, that was a big thing ticked off right you've ticked the box of i did a cannonball i did a i mean you did a beautiful cannonball it wasn't it wasn't a joke it was it was a i mean it was a serious cannonball whether it was a record breaker or not i mean that was a that was a, a very incredible time it's in yeah i think we did 26 29 i mean that's some serious stuff um especially in that car it's funny because it's like so you own we'll get into your cars in a minute but like you own an s65 amg which i drove on the channel and then the a8 to that s65 amg is almost what like like the M5 competition is to the A8 or the S8, sorry. Um, where like, you know, I remember you getting back in your S65 and thinking like, I always thought this thing was a total rocket ship, but that S8 is crazy just because, yeah, maybe it only has a smaller engine, but it's like this gearbox and the way it delivers power is like completely Yeah, that crazy. S8 with the tune that it had was fast. Like seriously um, fast. I mean, I've been driving twin turbo V12 Mercedes for... Um, God, it's got to be almost 10 years now. And to get back into my car after was really the first time that I had driven a big German luxury sedan like that and felt like it was slow. It's a bizarre. Uh, I never felt like that about my own car until after driving that S8. And then I think the M5 competition that they did after that, it almost did the same for me with the S8 because I was just like, whoa, the things that car could do. It was it wasn't the zero to 60s. It was like the hundred to one sixties that I was like, oh, holy shit, that Audi doesn't do that. <laughs> it's just. Yeah, nuts. I haven't had the pleasure to drive that one, um, but I heard about it from a lot of folks. That and... one was bonkers. But I mean, it's, it's interesting because it's like th that's what I mean. Like you have to have you have to be able to really put up some crazy cars because 
I mean, like that Audi is no joke. That S8 Plus is, is 2017. That's not an old car, and it's a fast car by any any reasonable standards. But even even for Cannonball, it's like ugh, dated. <laughs> we need to go. We need right. more. Well, we didn't think that at the time, and clearly it. that was the case. It's nuts. It's nuts. Um, what are your goals for like? enjoying motorsports post cannonball you know i think you know you brought up dave and you know we see uh we see the the post cannonball dave you know working on his 993 and all this other stuff in the movie and you know what what's sam's post cannonball enjoyment with the cars yeah i think one of the things that we've been talking about for a long time was doing you know our own rallies with smaller groups of people places that we haven't been before, right? We've done, you know, we've done Boston to tail the dragon and we've done Boston into Canada and done things like the Cabot trail. And those were great times. Don't get me wrong. That's a lot of fun. I think I'd like to organize a smaller group of cars, you know, somewhere in the five to 10 or 15 car range and do one of these journeys uh, somewhere we've never done it before. And whether that's driving to DC and then loading the cars on the auto train and heading to Florida to drive to the Keys uh, and spending a week doing that trip or maybe heading west and doing a trip around the Great Lakes and seeing, you know, Detroit. Um, I think those would be fun adventures to do. Um, those are things I've never done and I'd love to do. Yeah, I mean, I I think at the end of the day, it's like you you clearly have a passion for for motorsport in every sense, because you're not the guy who always has the latest and greatest, fastest thing you can get a hold of. I want, I mean, your collection is, is, is exactly what I expect from somebody who can put their money where their mouth is when they say, I love cars because you've got an H1 Hummer, a Nissan Figaro, uh, the ridiculous 600 or 650 horsepower, 996 twin turbo, the S65 AMG. I mean, you're, 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 collection tells me that you like variety and that you just find joy in 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 every side of of, of automotive segments i mean it, it's great yeah i just you know i like things that are unique and special that you're not going to see on the road every day um you know just having that rare thing uh, for me is, is more fun and enjoyable than having the brand new Ferrari or the brand new Lamborghini. And those are awesome. Don't get me wrong. I'd love sure. to have one. Um, but I feel like there are a lot more people that have brand new Lamborghinis and brand new Ferraris than H1s or Nissan Figaros. Agreed. And I'll tell you, I my more memorable um, car experiences. I mean, I've driven like, like almost everything under the sun in terms of like, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, your cars, I can vividly remember both putting a giant smile on my face and terrifying the shit out of me. Um, and those are all exciting things to me. And and it's funny, the things that terrify me more, it's not the, it's not the 996, you know, like topping out third and fourth gear on the highway. It's like getting in an H1 Hummer for the first time and trying not to murder the people who are running down the road. <laughs> yeah, it's wide. It's wide. It's, it's like, and it's weird because that car, you know, it, it is wide, but like a Raptor is about as wide as a Hummer. It's just the visibility inside the cabin of an H1 is very limited and it's hard to kind of tell where things are when you're not used to the vehicle. And I've driven bigger vehicles now and still I think the H1 is scarier than even a Unimog <laughs> when it comes that to That was probably the car that got me into cars when I was a little kid. Um, I just always wanted an H1 and I remember 
doing book reports on them when I was in like middle school. That's I just always funny. wanted one. So I had the opportunity in 2019 to buy one. Um, and it's fantastic. I, th- I don't care that it's slow. It's fantastic. I love driving it around. I actually thought I would get a lot of hate from people. And that's not the case. People love it. It puts people, a smile. Everyone's waving and smiling and giving me thumbs up everywhere I go. It's so much fun. And it sounds ridiculous. The, oh, it sounds like a school bus. Because it is, right? It's the same engine that you'd see in like a school bus, right? A, a full-blown school bus sound. Yeah, it's it's hilarious at all times. How can you not how can you not smile when you drive this thing around? The it's best great. part is like when if you look like I always I have the biggest shit eating grin on my face when I've driven that. And so like there's one there's the moment where someone looks at you like, oh, look at this asshole at the Hummer. And then it's like me, skinny Tedward waving at the people with the dumbest smile on my face. And then they suddenly are like, oh, this is actually quite entertaining. Like, I like this vehicle. And I can't imagine like you have to you have to have the sense of excitement in this thing when you're driving it or else people are probably going to flip you off. I guess I just thought I was going to get more hate, um, you know, from people that were, you know, big into electric cars and saving the planet, but probably thought that I was just being over the top and wasteful. And I really haven't gotten any hate. People love it. It's also not your daily driver. You know, I mean, that's the thing is I think I think like I'm all for I'm all for efficiency. I'm all for like, let's reduce um, carbon emissions and all this stuff. But like at the same time, I'm kind of like, well, like if I have a few ridiculous gas guzzlers but i drive them like a thousand miles a year like who cares like it's it's part of the fun you know i can offset the hummer's footprint by driving the figaro around that makes 70 horsepower the figaro and your wife's like uh eighth gen civic like i mean it doesn't get any better than those two as far as like non-hybrid platforms those are probably as efficient as they get um well before we before we sign off um what advice would you give to somebody who is looking to participate in a cannonball and what what wisdom can you impart to somebody who's maybe not uh not not been on a cannonball has an idea is relatively well educated probably listen to these podcasts listen to other people's uh you know vinwiki videos and things what would you tell someone who's jumping into this for the first time i mean everyone who is asked that question and answers it says the same thing they say don't do this which I mean, when someone were to say that to me beforehand, that's just more encouragement. You don't want to go out and do it. And now that I've done it, I feel like you you know, I want to give the same answer and say, don't do this because it wasn't fun. And um, you're really kind of putting a lot of things on the line when you do that. Um, so if I wasn't going to give you the, the don't answer, the, the don't do this answer, I guess I would say do your homework and read and research and have conversations with and watch and consume everything that you possibly can so that you have the best possible understanding of what you're getting into before you do it. Um, up to and including maybe being a spotter for someone else yeah. beforehand. Yeah, get involved. That's a, that's a that's a good point. You got to get involved with teams and kind of figure out what it looks like from the inside out. Um, and and you're totally right. You got to do your homework. I've 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 recently started explaining it to people like um like every kid wants to be an astronaut, but most of those kids don't want to be engineers. <laughs> they right. just they just want to get in the rocket. And it's like now you kind of have to know what you're doing before you get in before you strap into that rocket. Um, and that's the thing is cannonball kind of. There are people who are just rocket men who just they're like, well, I light the fuse and I send it. Um, but I think at this level now, you've got to be the engineer. You've got to be somebody who's a thoughtful planner. And that's you. You are a very thoughtful planner. I don't know a thing. Even when you put on a little party, 
you already know how many people are coming, how much food you're getting. Oh, we need this many chairs. And <laughs> like, yeah. how much wood am I going to need for this fire? Because we're going to be here for one, two, three, four hours. And, you know, like I kind of laugh because like you are very good at doing these things without making it look like you've done the planning. But every time you put something on, I'm like, Sam really thought about this. Like you set up our mission control room. And I'll be honest. I kind of walk into that a little, you know, I know what I need to do, but when you, when I walked into the room for the first time, you say, yeah, come scout it. Just let me know if there's anything else you need. I walked into that room. I was almost in tears. I'm like, you gave us all these tables and chairs and everyone had like a notepad. Like we were in a business conference room and it was developed for an illegal race across the country. Yeah. I just try to think of everything that you guys would possibly need to be successful and, uh, you know, remove any roadblocks or obstacles and try to make everyone comfortable and happy. And, you know, like I said, do my homework beforehand and, and try to be as prepared as I can be. We'll keep it at that. Well, Sam, thank you for coming on, telling your story. I think I think you are one of the most organic cannonballers there is because you you didn't necessarily go into this as a planner. Like, hey, I'm going to do a cannonball. You kind of just right place, right time, right people, you are the right guy for the job and you were hired. <laughs> yeah. Very, very fortunate to have had the opportunity for sure. Great. Well, we will talk to you very soon and uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks for being on. All right, sir. Good luck. Thanks for everything. So what do you think, Sam? A total car guy through and through? I think so. I think his collection speaks volumes. But not only that, he puts his money where his mouth is and off he goes into the world of cannonballing coast to coast as fast as he can. It's unbelievable. I hope we get Sam back on the podcast at some point soon just because this guy has stories for days. This is just a little piece of the puzzle here with Cannonball and some of the Boston car scene stuff. But man, it's been a ride. Thank you guys so much for listening and supporting this podcast and of course the YouTube channel. Don't forget to respect the drive and I'll see you in the next one.